Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you're about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. And it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks. And he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered into Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from the Nazareth of Galilee. We see a lot of prophecy. We see a lot of pictures and symbols fulfilled in this passage of Scripture. And Zechariah, who was a prophet, and see, these people that would have recognized Jesus as the Messiah didn't have what you have today. They didn't have the Word of God. You know, they had scrolls. And so they would have known Zechariah 9 Verse 9, but remember, it was in letter form, so it wasn't necessarily referenced like what we have today. Thank God it was not necessarily written as one whole letter. It would be difficult to follow, wouldn't it? We got references. We have scriptures. It's all broken up in chapters. It's a lot easier to read, isn't it? Amen. But they would have known this uh, prophecy of the Messiah. So when Jesus got on this donkey and people saw it, it would have registered within them saying, wow, Prophecies come into life. Jesus, we've seen his works. We've seen the miracles follow him. We've seen what he's done. We've seen how the woman of the issue of blood, Jairus' daughter, all these stories that we read, were, remember, they're history, they're historical, they're real. It's not just fables and fairy tales and things that you can take out and have principles and good ideas and theology and philosophy. No, it's more than that. It is literally what has happened in our day and age. Amen? Come on. How many believe that? How many believe the Bible will be true? Amen. And so this prophecy would have came alive in them and saying, wow, Jesus coming on a donkey. And it said that they laid their cloaks or their garments. Now, look, I want to mention something about their cloaks. That cloak or another interpretation is garments were spread out on the road for the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And this was more than just an act of honor. This was also an acknowledgement and a declaration that Jesus was the Messiah that was prophesied and that he was the King of Kings. He is the promised Messiah. See, the word garment is talit or a prayer shawl, which was a seamless garment with four corners with a tassel attached to each of the four corners to remind the Jewish people of all commands of God. 
And upon its collar, the Hebrew letters spelled this, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And it was a symbolic reminder of the promised Messiah. And by laying these prayer shawls down or the talus down, the people were acknowledging Jesus as God's promised Messiah. See, I don't think you understand. They didn't have what we had today. It was through revelation and knowledge when they saw him coming on that donkey, they stripped off their garments or their cloak and they laid it down on the road and they grabbed palm branches. Now, what were palm branches used for? Palm branches were often used in the celebration of victory and in King David's time, they were used to honor royalty. And the fact of the history of palm branches makes a perfect connection to the true identity of Jesus as the king of kings. And not only that, but palm branches also represent Jesus being worthy as the high priest for all who believe. See, a palm tree takes 30 years to bear fruit. And a man could not become a high priest until he was 30 years old. And the ministry of Jesus began when he was what? 30 years old. See, the palm branches point to Jesus being the king and the high priest, but there was something else that was laid before him, was also their cloaks, right? So we have two things, palm branches and cloaks. And this was recognizing that he was the king of kings or he is the king of kings. And it was because of revelation, it was because of knowledge of who he was that they gave everything that they had to him by saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which means to save us or savior. Man, this is powerful. Now today, as we continue in talking about the authority of the believer, we see we have been given Ephesians chapter 1, or I've given you Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3. And let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 And it says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Right here. How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know that Jesus is the King of Kings? Through revelation and knowledge of him. That comes by what? His word. That comes by the Holy Spirit. That comes by preaching and teaching. You know that Jesus is the King of Kings today. Amen? Come on. See, we have been given access and every opportunity to believe in Jesus. And when you believe in him and when you receive him and you come into this relationship with him, can I tell you your identity changes? You are made new in Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that the old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation or a new creature. You are no longer the same person you used to be. You are no longer Rich. You are no longer Scott. You're no longer Barry. You're no longer Nicole. You are no longer Cindy or Julie. You are now made new in Christ Jesus. You have literally changed. Your DNA has been regenerated because of the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice and what he gave to you. Now, you have been raised with Christ, but you have also been seated with Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says this, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, say all power, or another translation is to say, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. 
See, when Christ ascended, he transferred his authority to the church. The church. And he is the head of the church, and believers make up the body. Who's the church today? I am. You are. Come on, say I am. See, Christ's authority had to be perpetuated through his body, which is on earth. Where are we at today? We're on earth. Where's Jesus at? In heaven, on the right hand of the Father, sitting down on a throne. Come on. And throughout Ephesians and elsewhere in the epistles, Paul uses the human body as an illustration of the church. See, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, which is a place of authority. And we are seated with him. If you know anything about history, you know that to sit at the right hand of a king or a pope means authority. We died with Christ. Come on, how many believe that? You died with Christ in his death. You rose again with Christ. How many believe that? If you don't believe that, then you're not saved because that is the good news. That is the gospel. You have to believe that Jesus died, and then three days later, he rose again. You died with him on that cross. But can I tell you that you no longer have to stay at the cross We go to the resurrection. You are raised together with Christ. Come on. We died with Christ and we were raised with him. And this is not something God is going to do in the future. Hallelujah. He already has done it. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believes according to the working of Of his mighty power. Notice in the 19th verse where it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? In other words, there was such a display of God's power in raising Jesus from the dead that this actually was the mightiest work of God ever recorded. People have tried to be have people have tried to debunk the resurrection of Jesus because if they can debunk that, they can debunk everything of Christianity. If they can say that it's not real, that there's no proof of it, then everything that we live for would be false. But can I tell you today that this was the mightiest work of God ever recorded? Jesus defeated death. He defeated hell, and he defeated the grave. Well, you say, what does that mean to me? Well, when he defeated death, guess what? He defeated death from your life. When he defeated hell, he took hell from your life. When he defeated the grave, he took the grave from your life. And when he rose again, you rose with him. You no longer are destined for hell. You are no longer destined for death. You are no longer destined for the grave, but you are destined into eternal promise, which is eternal life with the Father. Come on. Don't worry, I'm going to get there in a second. I just want to lay this foundation. Remember, we're talking about being foundationally strong. See, the resurrection was opposed by Satan and all of his demons. However, his forces were confused and defeated by our Lord Jesus Christ, who arose, who ascended, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all of them. Remember in Colossians 2.15, It says this, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he, being Jesus, made a show of them openly, triumphing triumphing over them in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Where is he at? Seated with Christ, or seated with the Lord. Where are we at? Seated with Christ. 
See, these are the same demonic powers that you're going to have to deal with. But thank God Jesus defeated them. Today, you don't have to be dominated by fear. Today, you don't have to be dominated by sin. Today, you don't have to be dominated by the lust of your flesh. Can I tell you that God has given you an answer to every single urge and craving and desire that you have today? Isn't it amazing? But see, if you are weak in faith, you will fall under the temptation of those things. But when you are strong in the Lord, and how do you get strong in the Lord? Abide in me, and my words will abide in you. Draw close to me, and I will draw close to you. It's intimacy. It's relationship. Sometimes we give ourselves an easy way out. We give ourselves reasons and excuses of why we sin or why we do things. And we say, well, God's okay with it. No, he's not. God has called you to a higher living. That's what his grace does for you. It empowers you to live above that sin. It empowers you to live above you living in a carnal mind and just living naturally because you are no longer just a carnal person. You are a spirit being. Your nature has changed. And where did it change? In that spirit. You are made new in Christ. You are no longer dead, so you don't have to live according to dead works. Now, in ancient times, victorious kings bringing back captives would have a parade, making a show of them openly. Jesus did this with the devil by putting him on display before three worlds, heaven, hell, and earth. And after he defeated him, God gave us this account in scriptures so we in this would know what has happened for us. Have you ever thought about why do all the scriptures and why do we have all of this specifically in the order it is and the way it is written to us? Why is it put in this manner? Because God destined it to be that way. There's a reason why the Bible was written over 1,500 years. There's a reason why it was written by 40 different authors and how it was and, the, and just the different languages and the cultures and the context of those times. It's amazing. In all of it, throughout the whole thread of the Bible, you see Jesus. Can I tell you that the Bible in its originality, there's more transcripts of the Bible than any other philosophy or idea. And it has a far greater number. It's thousands of manuscripts. And nothing comes close to it. And we're still talking about the validity of the Bible. There's more archaeological finds that line up with the word. But it's the enemy's way of distracting and distorting the truth. And we can't become into that lie and deception. Amen? See, God wants us to know what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection. And the seating of Jesus Christ. He wants us to know that he set Christ in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, far above all what? Principality. Far above all power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Man, what does that mean? Every name that is named? Fear. He's over it. Anxiety. He's over it. Identity. No lack of purpose. Lack of direction. Anything. Any name. He's over it. He has dominion over it. And guess what that means? You have dominion over it. The source of our authority is found in this resurrection and exalting of Christ by God. Notice in the 18th verse that the Holy Spirit through Paul 
prays that the eyes of the Ephesians' understanding or their spirits might be open to these truths. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, he said that I pray that the eyes of your understanding or your spirit might be open to these truths. You got to open your life to these truths. You got to open your heart to these truths. And it's only done through being with the Father. See, we're the, praying these scriptures right now. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 20, I think it's 23. I'm just 23. And then also Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. If you're not doing those yet, I want to encourage you to do that. The whole church, I've asked the whole church corporately to be doing these prayers morning and night over your family, over your church, over your own life, because I believe that you're going to grow in the spirit of wisdom and revelation when it comes to the things of God. Amen? You're going to have a better understanding of his word when you read it. When you go into it, you're not going to be confused. How many get confused sometimes when you read the Bible? Well, I believe when you pray these scriptures over yourself and speak them over you, you're going to be getting, you're going to have revelation and understanding. You're going to have clarity. You're going to understand the word of God and what he's saying to you and what he's saying to the church. I believe the church is going to grow in wisdom and revelation. Amen? See, he wanted all the churches, all believers to be enlightened. When we read these letters, you got to remember that those letters were not just written to them, but they're also for us. Amen? They're for us. The truth of the authority of the believer, however, is overlooked by many Christians. And why do I say that? Because a lot of Christians live in defeat. A lot of Christians don't even look like Christians. You couldn't tell the difference between a Christian and an unchristian. You are light. The world is dark. You are good. The world is evil. Come on. We are different. We are God's chosen people, royal priesthood. Come on. This is who we are. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. If today you don't know that you're different, you are. And we walk different. We walk in a manner that's worthy to the high calling of which we've been called to by God. In fact, most churches don't even know the believer has authority. See, you will never understand the authority of the believer only with your intellect. You must get the spiritual revelation of it. You must believe it by faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, And you have he quickened who were dead in trespass and sin, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now look, this isn't talking about you. Because if you have become a believer, well, you're no longer living this way, amen? Among whom also we have all conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, come on, he's rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has he quickened us together or made us alive, you're alive in Christ. With Christ, by grace, you are saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Look at that. He's raised us up together and made us sit together. Where are we at? We're seated with him. Now, you say, well, I'm on the surf. Yes, but you are seated with him spiritually. Where he is at, where the authority is, meaning you got authority. The smallest Christian, the baby Christian, the one that doesn't know much, 
The day you receive Jesus in your heart, guess what? All the authority that I have for serving God for 20 years, you have too. I don't have any more authority than you have. The greatest preacher and the one that's done the most and won a million people to Jesus doesn't have more authority than you have. You have the same authority as them. Come on. See, that breaks all comparisons. That breaks all walls. That breaks all limitation. To think I have to do this for a certain amount of time and then I'll get it. You already got it. We fall into this lie and deception from the enemy because he doesn't want you to know what you got. Walk in it. And that, in verse 7, that is in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Now, in the verse, the first verse, it says, You have he quickened, or he made alive, were dead in trespass and sin. Here the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul, according to the working of the strength of his might, when he raised him from the dead, and you were dead. You see the same verbiage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, that expresses the reviving of Christ from the dead, expresses the reviving of his people in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It's the same reviving that raised Jesus from the dead. It raised you from being dead to this life, to being dead in sin, to being dead in trespass. See, in other words, the act of God that raised Christ from the dead also raised his body his church. In the mind of God, when Jesus was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. Further into the second chapter, we read this, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. See, this passage is dealing with conferring of his authority. Notice that the head being Christ and the body being you or the church were raised together. Furthermore, this authority was conferred not only upon the head being Jesus, man, but also the body. Because he's the head and the body are one and the same. When you think of a person, you don't think of just the head and the body, but you think of the head and the body. Now, I know this might sound repetitious, but I really want you to understand what you have. You and Jesus are one and the same. He is the head and you are his body. And he doesn't function outside of his body. And next week you're going to see that the body is what uses the power that's been given to them through God or through Jesus by God. Because he's sitting in heaven. Who do you think is doing the work? Jesus? No. You are. If we don't do the work, the work don't get done. I'm not going to go ahead though. As far as we know, churches believe that we were raised up together with Christ, right? We all believe that. Who believes that? So why, don't we been, why do we not believe that we've been made to sit together with him as well? See, in part of this verse, if part of this verse is true, then the whole verse is true. And when we get revelation that we are that body of Christ, we will rise up and do the works of Christ. This is who we are. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 to be a witness. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 to be unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of, to those that believe. I had to get it right in my head for a second before I said it. 
There are works or fruit that is produced from a Christian. We are doing the works of Jesus Christ on earth. That's why we preach. That's why we have church. That's why we come together. That's why we worship. That's why we invite people. That's why we tell people about Jesus. That's why we do outreach. That's why we do evangelism. That's why we have women's group, men's group, kids group, teenager group, all these things. What is the purpose of all of it? To do the works of Christ. It's not just to do a whole bunch of programs because it makes us feel good and it's what we want. No, we want to see God's will and kingdom and purpose built and see it manifested out in this region. And so we use these avenues to do it. Amen? And it causes us to be effective. Come on. We are effective as the body. We're not just doing things to do things. You know, if you were just to do things just to do them, you wouldn't go very far. And this is why you get a lot of Christians that don't go very far in their walk with the Lord. They stay at a place of stagnation and complacency because they're not committed. But can I tell you, when you commit your life to God, it will call you out of where you are. And you'll actually experience the full benefits of Jesus Christ. You'll experience the full benefits of his promises today. And today, if you're saying, I'm not experiencing the full benefits of that, can I tell you right now, it's because you probably aren't walking fully in what he's called you to walk into. And you can change today. When we realize that the authority that belongs to Christ also belongs to the individual member of the body of Christ and is available to us, your life will forever be changed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 14, it says this, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that body, one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. We are Christ, and he is calling the body, which is the church, Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized in one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile. Come on, you're a Gentile. Say, I'm a Gentile, unless you're Jew. So I'm Jew in here. Whether we, bond, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Thank God you are the body of Christ. Come on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 it says, but you are not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? The believer is called righteousness, and the unbeliever is called unrighteousness. The believer is called light, and the unbeliever is called darkness. The believer is called Christ, and the unbeliever is Belial. There's a difference. There's a difference in knowing who you are and what you have. You have authority. Come on, say, I have authority. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, and I'm almost done, it says, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. We are one with Christ. We are Christ. We are seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. All things have been put under your feet. It's under your feet. It's under your feet. Satan is under your feet. How many remember that song? That's an old song. Look what the Lord has done. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I need someone with an organ behind me. <laughs> that would probably trip people up. See, the trouble with a lot of people, a lot of believers, is we preach a cross religion. But we need to preach a throne religion. 
By that I mean that people have thought they were supposed to remain at the cross. You hear songs near the cross, near the cross, right? Some have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and they have backed up to the cross, and they have stayed there ever since. See, we don't need to remain there. Let's go on to the Pentecost, the ascension into the throne. We got to move away from the cross. The cross is done, but there is more than just the cross. Come on. The cross is actually a place of defeat, whereas the resurrection is a place of triumph. When you preach the cross, you're preaching death, and you leave people in death. And we died all right, but we're raised with Christ. And when we're seated with him, see, positionally, that's where you are right now. You're no longer at the cross. You're raised with Christ. See, you are seated with Christ in a place of authority in heavenly places. Many Christians don't know anything about their authority, and they really don't believe that they have authority. They believe they're barely saved, and they must go through life being dominated by the devil and by every single thing that comes against them. And they magnify the devil more than they do God. See, we need to be delivered from the bondage of death and walk in the newness of life. We're not at the cross any longer. We died with Christ, but he has raised us together with him. Glory to God. Come on. Hallelujah. We need to take our place of authority. The right hand of the throne of God is the center of power for the whole universe. Exercising the power of the throne was committed to the resurrected, resurrected Lord. We know that Christ with his resurrected physical body is there in full possession of his rights, awaiting his father's time when his enemies shall be made a footstool. Hebrews 1 verse 13 says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. The elevation of Christ's people with him into the heavenly clearly points to the fact that we are to sit with him, sharing not only his throne, but also his authority, the authority that belongs to us. In Romans 5, 17, it says, For if by one man's offense... Spiritual death reigned by one, which is Adam. Much more, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. The Amplified Version says this, reign as kings in lives. Are you reigning today as a king? Now, positionally, you should, and you are. Through Christ, you are reigning in life as a king. Come on, say, I'm a king. You have authority. See, when you're a king, that's authority, isn't it? Yeah. Whatever the king said was law, and he was the last authority. We partake of the authority that Christ's throne represents. Now, I want to say this. We have to maintain balance. See, the Holy Spirit prayed through Paul that we might all have wisdom understanding and authority over the demonic powers and the problems they create through their constant manipulation of our mind. Come on, that's what he does. He manipulates us. He lies to us. He deceives us. What you feed on, church, is what you become. It's that simple. We see it naturally when it comes to our physical body. It's no different spiritually. If you spend more time watching movies, listening to music that doesn't bring glory to God, More than likely, that's what you're going to be thinking about. 
you're going to begin to see life and your Christian walk with God through the same way you would see a movie. But you can't because you're not of this world anymore. And how they rationalize and reason things, we don't. You're called out of it. Is that saying movies and music is bad? No. But be wise. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Allow the Holy Ghost to lead you in what you should watch and what you should do and who you should be around. He will, I promise you. You probably just haven't opened your life up to that because you don't want to hear it. <laughs> Trust me, I know. There was people that I had to leave behind in order for my growth and development as a man of God. There was things I had to stop watching, things I had to stop doing. I had to get disciplined and change even the way I did things so I didn't fall into the temptation that would come because temptation will come. Remember, it says, seeking who he may devour. Can he devour you? And we see in James chapter 4, resist the devil or submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. When you look at the word flee, it means that he runs in terror. Runs in terror. See, it seems like the most difficult thing in the world for the church is to stay balanced. Can we all agree? You can take any subject, including the authority of the believer, and you can push it to an extreme. And it becomes a harmful, and it ceases to bless. See, there was a person named Father Divine who was once saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he had the real thing. And then he began to studying these very scriptures we have been studying. And he reasoned, if we are Christ, then I'm Christ. If Christ is God... So I am God, and he founded a cult that was very popular, and people worshiped him. That's, that's going extreme. I'm not telling you that you're God. You're not a little God. Don't get it twisted. You're not Christ. But you have what you have because of him. It's easy to get in the ditch on the either side of the road into excess or wildfire or fanaticism. Let's go down the middle of the road and maintain balance. There is a man by John Alexander Dowie, a Scotsman who received the revelation about divine healing. And while ministering before the turn of the century in Australia, he crossed the ocean many times during his lifetime. And he encountered many storms. But it said that every time a storm came up, he did exactly what Jesus did. He rebuked the storm and it always ceased. See, we should not be amazed by this. Because Jesus said, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. Jesus is with the Father. Someone will ask you what the greater works are. Let me just encourage you. Just start with the great works first. Let's just do the works that Jesus did, and then we'll start working on the greater works. Amen? See, Jesus did not say only a select few would have these works. He said those who what? Believe on him. How many of you believe today that you have authority? Come on, stand to your feet. Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages. 